Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. President Trump's lead attorney is trying to explain why he doesn't want the commander-in-chief to testify in the Russia probe. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, Rudy Giuliani said he doesn't want President Trump to be stuck in a perjury trap. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry, well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation truth is about... Truth is truth. I don't mean to go like... I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. Joining us is William Banks, professor at Syracuse University Law School. Bill, we've talked before about Rudy Giuliani's misstatements of law and fact, but I don't even know where to go with his statement on the truth isn't the truth. <laughs> no, it's uh, the Orwell comes to mind is one place to go. But, uh, you know, it, it's certainly the case that uh, the the work that's been done by Don McGahn to testify for, what is it, 70, uh, 30 hours before the Mueller team uh, puts President Trump in an even more difficult position. He's sort of damned if he does agree to an interview because uh, he may he may be contradicting some things that McGahn has, has said. Uh, but he's also damned if he doesn't because then it's McGahn's version of the events that is going to be controlling more than likely in Mueller's report eventually. So uh, it, it, uh, always there are different versions of uh, events that happen from two persons' point of view, and the president and McGahn may have different ones, but it, uh, the statement that that, uh, that that the truth isn't the truth is, is not a way to try to bring them into one uh, you know, lens. Well, and I, I wonder if what he was trying to say there was that there are facts, and, the, you know, I don't know if he was trying to make a distinction there and was kind of on the spot but you know there are facts and then there are people's opinions about what happened around those facts that's correct and of course he may have a different interpretation but it seems unlikely to me now that the president would decline to speak to the to the independent counsel given all the record uh, material that mcgann has provided them let's talk about uh, mcgann talking to the special counsel, and a lot was made of it because of the New York Times story. But does he really have a choice about testifying to the independent counsel? I mean, he's representing the White House, not the president. 
That's right. He represents the office, uh, and in that respect, he's like uh, uh, any other government employee, so he really didn't have much of a, of a choice. He, or through his counsel, they could have negotiated the, the terms and conditions of the interview and the subjects that he felt were what's appropriate for them to speak to, and it sounds like he didn't do that because uh, the approach of the White House at the time through Mr. Giuliani's uh, predecessors was to be uh, broadly transparent and open with the special counsel. They uh, they would certainly like to walk that back now, but it's too late. Well, there might not be attorney-client privilege here, but is there any chance that there could be executive privilege? Yeah, these questions were, you know, these were litigated, these questions during the Clinton uh, scandals uh, 20 years ago, more than 20. And uh, in both cases, on executive privilege and uh, attorney-client, McGahn's side would have come out on top. That is, there wasn't an executive privilege. Because of the ongoing investigation that could lead to criminal charges, it's a similar scenario that the Clinton uh, indictment uh, eventual indictments could have presented that there were potential criminal charges from the conduct being investigated. So the need for the information outweighed any uh, interest in confidentiality or privilege. Bill, I want to test your memory for a moment because I think it's better than mine. But this this morning, President Trump was tweeting about collusion and how Mueller first said it was collusion. Now he said it was it could be obstruction um, along those lines. Who first mentioned collusion? Because as we've discussed before, there is no crime called collusion. And I don't remember it ever coming from the Mueller team, which has only dealt in, you know, facts, hard facts. Well, facts and law, and as the Mueller team knows to a man and woman, there is no such uh, crime as collusion. There's conspiracy, and they they know that backwards and forwards. I just wonder why we started talking about collusion. Yeah, yeah, I think someone in the Trump group uh, used that phrase originally, but my memory is not better than yours, June, and I'm not sure who it was. (laughs) Well, but you you do, I'm sure, remember back to uh, John Dean and Nixon, yes. uh, obviously, and uh, and so we so you know the president is reviving memories of that of all that. Well, he is, and you know I don't think it's fair to to equate or even compare uh, Don McGahn to to John Dean, but McGahn, you know, he was. He was wise enough uh, and careful enough to uh, get the advice of counsel before he agreed to speak to Mueller. And he was advised along the way about the subjects that he should speak to and about the depth and clarity of the answers that he should give. And he's, you know, he was determined to protect his uh, his own skin here because uh, I don't think we would put it beyond the president to uh, try to place Don McGahn in a bad light or blame any missteps or legal wrongdoing on uh, on the advice of his counsel. I want to change topics a little here and, and go to George Papadopoulos, who uh, pleaded guilty and is going to be sentenced. Because the prosecutors, the Mueller prosecutors, put in a memo uh, to the court about how, mu- how much time he should get, suggesting it. And it's, it's quite stark in their decision or their opinion that he really did not cooperate with them and they didn't recommend a good sentence. They recommended guidelines. Right. I think that is a bit surprising. We, we, were, we never knew as much about the Papadopoulos invest, uh, aspect of the investigation 
uh, the details concerning it as we did about several other pieces. Sometimes people forget, many of us uh, forget, that it was really uh, the Papadopoulos uh, um, uh, investigation that broke open uh, the, the Russia uh, uh, the Russian inquiry because uh, people now associate the beginning of it with the so-called Steele dossier. But Papadopoulos uh, turned uh, evidence or turned material over to the uh, to the media and then to investigators before uh, the steel issue ever came to light. Uh, the other thing that, that surprised me, I had thought that he made a plea, made a deal with Mueller, but in the in the uh, memorandum they say that there wasn't a deal. It was just right. cooperation. Yes, I think that you know they probably were inching toward a deal, but he uh, did not give them as much as they felt they needed to to get it. So uh, we'll see what, what his sentence turns out to be. All right. Thanks so much, Bill. Always a pleasure. That's William Banks. He's a professor at Syracuse University Law School. It's day three of jury deliberations in the trial of former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort for bank and tax fraud. Speaking to reporters on Friday, President Trump commented about the trial, but declined to say whether he would pardon Manafort. I I think the whole Manafort trial is very sad. When you look at what's going on there, I think it's a very sad day for our country. He worked for me for a very short period of time. But you know what? He happens to be a very good person. Joining us from our Bloomberg 991 studios in Washington is Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor. So, Kevin, the president took to Twitter again this morning, ratcheting up the attack on Mueller. Where's the collusion? They made up a phony crime called collusion. And when there was no collusion, they say there was obstruction. What what do you think is going on with this ratcheting up of the attacks on Mueller day after day? Well, I mean, I think, you know, this is a continuation of what he's been doing for for weeks now and months. So at some point, I don't know, it gets a little hard to measure when the uh, temperature (laughs) goes up or down. Um, I think the um, he he clearly feels that he's uh, making headway on shaping some public opinion. It sort of keeps his base shored up in theory and at least sows a certain amount of doubt among other other people. Opinion polls do suggest that that, you know, Mueller's doesn't have the highest ratings uh, sort of you know, trust popularity wise. So, so some of these attacks are making a bit of an impact. Uh, and, and he's trying to prepare the battlefield. I mean, keep in mind, and it's not clear that Mueller has the authority to indict uh, a sitting president, but so, so in the biggest risk to Trump could simply be impeachment. And impeachment's a political process. So, and you're trying to insul- inoculate yourself uh, against a political threat. You, you know, sometimes you go on the offensive and that's, that's, uh, that's what he's doing. What's the over-under on a pardon for Manafort? It's unclear. I mean, you know, I think that um, Trump has enjoyed using the pardon power. It would be pretty decently uncharted territory for for him to issue a pardon like this one, uncharted territory politically. And, and, uh, I mean, he has the authority to do it, but the political sort of consequences of it are complicated. Manafort also faces another trial, so you'd be looking like you're sort of actively undercutting a political investigation in a way he hasn't quite done yet. Um, there is also the possibility that instead of pardoning him, he could commute a sentence after he's sentenced. Um, so that'd be a way to like keep him out of jail, but but not quite a full pardon. Or, or obviously, you know, he might he might not do anything. We we don't have a good sense of of what he's thinking on that. Kevin, uh, this I- is of course assuming he's 
convicted, although there are 18 counts, uh, which I think explains why the jury is taking a few days to, to sort of work through them all. Kevin, how would a pardon really help the president? Because pardoning Manafort means that Manafort can be called before a grand jury and then he can't take the fifth. He has to testify. That might be the risk, which is why commuting uh, a sentence might, uh, um, you know, it might be a more attractive way because it could it could make it at least more complicated uh, mm. down the line. He, he, we don't really know. It, it, I think you know to the degree that if Manafort was going to cut some kind of a deal with prosecutors, he obviously sort of missed his opportunity in this trial. So um, he he could uh, you know I guess still sort of do one down the line, but uh, uh, in, in terms you know in, in return for sentencing relief, it's not clear he even has anything to to give. But if uh, if Trump wants to muddy up the the probe, undercut it, you know, he could try all kinds of different things. I suppose. Let's uh, shift over to Michael Cohen, uh, the president's uh, former attorney, personal attorney, fixer, according to the New York Times, now under investigation for bank fraud and tax fraud around his. Um, taxi businesses. What's that about? Yes. Well, I think we've known for a while that that, that the prosecutors have been looking into loans that he made, uh, that, that he got uh, for his taxi business that, that he, he probably shouldn't have. Um, and, and I think he's he's in some pretty serious legal jeopardy over those. That's sort of its own thing. I think it, it, it we also know that prosecutors have been asking questions about the various payments he helped arrange to, to women, including Stormy Daniels on behalf of the president and others. That's obviously much more significant from a sort of political standpoint and, and from even from a legal standpoint uh, if, if the prosecutors are going there. And I think we have less clarity about how far down the line they are in trying to do some of those charges and, and where that stands. Uh, it does seem that uh, uh, Cohen is, you know, signaling that he want, he'd be interested in trying to make a deal with prosecutors. It's not clear they're interested. It's not clear at this point whether Cohen even has anything to offer that prosecutors actually want. That's that's what's really interesting is that he's been sending out these signals. He hired Lanny Davis, who's also been sending out signals. Seems like I'll make a deal. I'll make a deal. But if prosecutors want to make a deal, they know how to call the his attorney, and his attorney knows how to get in touch with them. That's exactly right. And and it's it, you know we we don't obviously know whether there've been any conversations, but. Uh, it doesn't seem like it, given that he's still signaling it. Um, remember, they've raided his house, his office, his um, hotel room. So there's a bit of a question about what he'd even have to offer them that they don't already have if they want to do something. This case has been separated away from 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 Mueller's case. So you know, unlike this some of the witnesses, this was a referral from Mueller's office. This was to a this, referral, to the U.S. Attorney in the Southern right. District. So, right. So right. So it's not clear how, if at all, Mueller's case would factor into the, their thinking when it comes to a deal. So even if Cohen had something to offer related to Mueller's case, you know, SDNY gets to make its own set of decisions in coordination with Maine Justice uh, about, you know, what what they uh, what kind of deal they might Kevin, one, one minute here. But Maine Justice, I mean, if there's if there's information that will help the Mueller probe, Mueller will know about it if he doesn't know about it already. Yes. I mean, I think there's there's a fair amount of coordination that would go through. But SDNY is a decently independent operation as well. So they've got a fair amount of room to, to maneuver when it comes to these things. But yeah, I'd imagine that if they could, if they had something related to Mueller's case, they'd pass it on to Maine Justice and, and Mueller's prosecutors. So that would be uh, a complicated decision at some point that would probably involve the Deputy Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, who's uh, the man overseeing... Uh, the Mueller probe. He is in the middle of everything, which is why there is so much attention on him. I don't know if any deputy attorney general we ever knew the name of before even. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. That's Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor.
Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce.